You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Let me just take you back into Mark chapter 6, possibly one of the most action-packed chapters in the Gospel, where you'll see the feeding of the 5,000, possibly the most well-known story in all the Gospels, apart from the crucifixion, of course. And then you get Jesus kind of getting rid of his disciples, sticking them in a boat, pushing them out into the water and saying, go to the other side, I'll get rid of the crowds and I'll see you in a bit. So he can get some time alone, goes up a mountain and sees the disciples in distress as he's praying. How he does that miraculously, we don't really get an insight into. But uh, he then does that amazing thing where he walks out on the water and rescues his disciples, gets in the boat and arrives at the other side with his pals. What's amazing is, as soon as they get off the boat, we're told, that people begin to recognise Jesus. Now, I don't know whether people had been in search of Christ and so had begun just to go here, there and everywhere trying to find him. But as soon as he steps off the boat, somebody clocks Jesus. I don't know if it's the long hair, beard and dress, but something about him looks familiar. And then the word begins to spread about what this guy can do. And so people, we are told, begin to run. They ran from all over the place. I love the fact that when Jesus turns up, A, people recognise him, B, he causes a stir and people run towards him. They know there's going to be a crowd. They may have heard of 5,000 men and their families that turned up on a hillside because they wanted to be with Jesus. But the crowd begins to gather. I love the sense of anticipation as Jesus, the healer, is stood amongst his people and they, anybody who's sick is brought, carried, however they can get him there, they run at pace, people sprinting to Jesus and the crowd begins to gather. Now, there's some people in the crowd that have come from Jerusalem. We're told they're the Pharisees and the, the, and the leaders of, of the law, the teachers of the law. Those are the guys that have been holding to the, to the law and the tradition and the religion for so long. They cherish it. They, they, they live by it every waking moment. And they have come to check out to see if the Christ, Jesus, is kosher. To see if he's living by the law. See if he's doing everything by the book. And so I imagine Jesus busy healing. Getting on with what Jesus does. And he keeps getting interrupted by these men. You know just while he's in the thick of bringing the power of God to bear. These guys are going I've just got a few things we'd like to talk to you about. I'm imagining a man with a clipboard. Who just wants to ask just a few questions. To find out if you're doing things correctly. And they address him straight away. They come in with really like they up the ante straight away with this question. Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions? Why aren't they doing what they are supposed to do? Why aren't they living according to the traditions of the elders? Instead of eating the food, uh, def- uh, their food with because def- they eat their food with defiled hands. They haven't been and washed first. They must be hungry and starving. These guys are helping Jesus with kingdom mission. They've probably not had the time to work out how they're going to clean their hands. They're not in a familiar place. They're away from home. They're not near their home or their, or their temple. Cleansing is going to be different. They're on the ministry and mission of God. 
And Jesus, I love it. He just, he, he gets to the point real quick. And I don't know if it's because he's busy doing good stuff, but he comes back at them straight away. He says, Isaiah was right about you guys. Isaiah, the prophet, was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Now, talk about upping the ante. That's just gone to a new level there when he brings those words. And then he quotes the scriptures. I love that. Because they would have been checking to see if this guy is living according to the scriptures. And here is what he brings from Isaiah 29. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Their bodies appear to be living according to the law, but I can see what's going on in their hearts. That's a worrying thing. I was worried when we had a, a, a prophet or anyone with a real kind of gift of discernment that would come as a visiting speaker to church. I remember one time as a young person, we had this prophet come to church and they, they uh, asked all the young people to line up at the front. And I was thinking, I know how this goes. He's going to walk down and reveal my sin. You know, like everybody else is going to be amazing and they'll get to me and he'll go, oh dear. <laughs> And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, you might look great on the outside, but I know what's going on in your hearts and it's far from God. Jesus goes on to say in those words later on, he says, listen to me, everybody, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going in to them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. There's something that happens. We put good stuff in. But something happens inside of us that then means bad stuff comes out and that stuff takes place in the heart. You're worried about what my boys are putting in, but I'm concerned about what's coming out of you. See, we're really good at maintaining like a holy image. We maybe consider it before we go to church in the morning. Let's get right with God. Let's look neat and tidy and let's get off to church. We're good at maintaining the holy image, displaying what looks godly, but yet our hearts can be so far from God, so full of sin, so wrecked with brokenness. And yet we have the amazing ability of telling ourselves that we're actually doing okay. I don't know what it is about the human psyche, but we are brilliant at thinking the best about ourselves. And what comes with that is that we are brilliant at spotting the sin and the brokenness and the failings in other people. We think the very best of ourselves, but we're able to spot the failings of those around us. What I love about Isaiah is he, he talks about all these great things, about the nature of people and the purposes of God and how he's going to bring the two together, the redemption of his people. In, in Isaiah 58, he talks about people that have taken this whole thing about brokenness inside just one step further. They, not only do they think they're doing everything right, but they, they, they think they're so righteous that somehow God is the one that's failing them. And they say this in Isaiah 58. Why have we fasted? And why have, you, and why have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have, have not noticed? This is the people of God talking to God. We're doing everything right. Everything that you said and asked us to do. And you're not doing your bit. There seems to be a problem here. And it's not us. It's probably you. How deceived are they? How messed up are their hearts? They've convinced themselves that they're living right and that somehow God is failing them. 
These aren't the words recorded of one person who's a bit of a cheeky monkey and has got a few things to say about God. This is the collective voice of the people of Israel, the people of God, the holy community. It's their cries out to God and this is what heaven hears. What are you doing, God? Are you blind? Are you deaf? We're following your rules. We had a deal and you failed us. I don't know if you've ever said those words to God, but I confess to you this morning, I have. I've seen some brokenness. I've seen some awful things take place in my community that have meant at times I've said, what are you doing, God? I sat at the the bedside of a 17-year-old boy who was passing away from cancer, and I said, what are you doing, God? Here's your chance, God. We had a deal, God. And you failed me. These people of God are utterly frustrated. They're disappointed. Their perspective on things is completely different to God. Broken and dissatisfied with God. See, they've been doing all the things that they thought was right. God had asked for sacrifices. And so they'd lived according to the law. And when they finally, you know, occasionally got things wrong, they'd, they'd made amends by doing sacrifices as was required. They'd been obedient to the law. They were fasting at the right time. And they were convinced they were getting it right. Surely God saw their deeds. Surely God was impressed with their commitment and their sacrifices. But there's a fundamental issue going on here. They believed in their hearts that their righteousness and their righteous living made them deserving. That the way they lived meant that God owed them something. That fasting made them worthy. It's a concern. It's a concern for the people of God. We live a certain way and somehow we believe God owes us. I remember going on a pastoral visit. One of my first ever pastoral visits as a pastor. I went to see one of my best friends who was having a bit of a hard time. I sat down in his room and he said, Sam, I've relocated from London to the inner city grotty community of Openshaw. I've given over a decade to serving week in and week out. I've tithed when I'm supposed to tithe. I've given the very best of myself to feeding the hungry and helping the broken. And God is letting me down. It's time he stood up and acted. It's time for him to do me a favour. It's time that God favoured me and I was just like taken aback I'm like what on earth do I say brand new to ministry I don't really know what the thing and I just said I, I just said so so God owes you God owes you right you feel like God owes you I said yeah I said I said well just take a breath into your lungs and breathe out take another breath and breathe out I said God is giving you air to breathe and I said pat your tummy you seem to have a fair amount of food in that fat belly of yours. I'm blessed with pastoral gifting. <laughs> I said, God seems to have sustained you well over these past weeks and months, but yet God owes you more. And I said, you know, before we even start to talk about Christ and all that he gave up for you, you have more than you could ever want or imagine. But we fast for results. We give up stuff hoping that God will give 
to us. We make special efforts to be holy, hoping to gain God's approval. And maybe like, not like the people of Israel, we, we don't go out and we wear sackcloth and ashes and we, we don't sacrifice bulls and lambs anymore. But maybe we think, I need extra help from God so I'll spend longer praying. Tonight I'm not going to watch TV, I will just pray. Or maybe I'll turn on a sermon because God loves it when I listen to online sermons. Maybe, maybe we just dedicate ourselves. If I do some more Bible reading, God will like me a bit more. And so we set about some marathon Bible reading uh, thing. We set, we're going to read the Bible within, from cover to cover in the next 24 hours. We, we devote ourselves because if I do some stuff, God will do some stuff for me. We do more. We give more. But we do it with a goal in mind. We convince ourselves that we found God's love language and it's do more. Work harder. And so if we just do that and we keep ourselves pure, that he'll reward us. We've decided in our hearts that God is a cosmic vending machine. That if we put the right coins in the top, we pay our tithe each month, and we serve faithfully, and we read our Bible and pray, then out the bottom will come the thing that we want. And sometimes, I don't know if you've had it where you've put your money in the, in the vending machine and it gets caught on the curly wire bit, and you kind of rock the thing and shake it, hoping that your packet of crisps will fall out the bottom. Or maybe you tap the numbers in, and instead of, you know, Walker's crisps, you get a milky bar, and you're like, utterly destroyed. And it's like that with the people of God. We think we put the right coinage in the top and we get frustrated when we look at God and he doesn't seem to be giving us what we want when we want. And so we shake him. What are you doing, God? Are you deaf? Are you blind? Do you not see your people trying to do the right thing in the right kind of way? And so we get mad and we get frustrated at him. But God sees the heart. God sees the true character of his people. We find it easier to obey with rules than engage in a relationship with him. We um, think that if we keep God happy, we can get on with life. I've heard Christians who say that. Just, just follow the rules and do what you like. If God's happy, then you can do what you want. But God is concerned with the heart of his people. And he wants us to know his heart. The Jews thought if we kill more animals, and if we eat less, and if we wear rags now and again, these are the rules that we need to follow, and God will be happy. But God has told his people what he expects, and you see that listed beautifully in Isaiah 58. Let me read what he'd asked of his people. He says, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with tents from the church car park. Uh, provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you um, when you see the naked to clothe them to turn not to turn away from your own flesh and blood to do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing finger and malice talk to spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed keep your feet from breaking the sabbath and from doing the things you please 
on the holy day. These are the things that God says he really likes. And these aren't something you do on one day. There wasn't like a holy day set apart for, for just those things. This was supposed to be not ceremony, but a way in which the people of God lived. This was righteous living. This was living according to God's will. Not law or tradition or religion or regulation. This is the heart of God. A God who we heard this morning is slow to anger, rich in love. A God who is compassionate. A God who loves justice. Doing the things that please him more than anything. If you love God, you'll love the things that he loves. And this is what he loves. I'm not sure he's overly keen on lots of animals dying. He wants people who will bring about release and freedom in his name. The worst thing was that God's people were adding to injustice. They were responsible for Oppression, tying the knots that oppressed people and kept them in slavery. They were responsible for the straps of the yoke that kept people bound up. They refused to share. They ignored the hungry. They rejected the refugee. They walked past the naked. They judged and they gossiped and they exploited and they fought. On the day of the Lord, they were raising their fists at each other. But yet they had the cheek to cry out to God. What are you doing? Are you blind? Are you deaf? He's not. He's not blind and he's not deaf. He's a God that sees all and he sees the heart. I don't know about you, but we easily fall into that category. We, we think That we are living holy, righteous lives, but we're missing the very point of what God says. You know, the human form is really good at turning in upon itself. We are navel gazers naturally. Sin does that. Instead of being outwardly looking, we begin to only look at our lives and the things that matter to us. The Latin word is incurvatus in se. I never did Latin. But it's the idea that we curve in on ourselves. But the people of God are supposed to be outward looking. God is less concerned about how we fix ourselves, but how we live in order to bless those around us. But the people of God naturally have become inward looking, taking care of themselves instead of being outwardly focused. They were called to be a blessed nation that would bless, but instead they've become self-centered, self-absorbed and self-obsessed. Obsessed. They could not see beyond themselves and they were convinced of their own worthiness. They began to believe their own height. Jesus draws attention to this in Matthew 25. Let me read you again the story of the sheep and the goats. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, we did not see you hungry or thirsty. Uh, Sorry, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not need you, uh, did not help you? 
he will reply, truly I tell you, whenever you did not do this for the least of these, you did not do, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. They couldn't see the hungry. They couldn't see the blind and the thirsty. They were utterly so self-absorbed, so drawn to themselves and the maintaining of the religious life that they had lost sight of those around them. They were oblivious even to the naked. Where did we see you? Jesus is saying, I am found in those people. If you want to love me, you love those outside of you. Lift your eyes from your belly button and take a look at the brokenness that surrounds you. But yet we are so drawn to ourselves that we miss those that God is putting in our sight. When a society, when a church begins to look in on itself, it loses sight of the community. This is anti-kingdom and is not what God intended. They were fasting in order to get stuff for themselves and had lost sight of the blessing that they could have brought. Think about what happens when you fast. You give up food. They could have used that food to bless the hungry. Think about what happens when you dress yourself in rags. Because you think that's holiness. You can give up your good clothes to those who are naked. They missed the opportunity to bless because they were so consumed on making themselves right. They'd missed the point of all God was asking of them. Their only consideration was themselves. It was not the holy pursuit of God. It was holy pursuing themselves. They'd failed to see how, to treat, how they treated others was a reflection of what was going on in themselves. They had become a church, a people obsessed by just maintaining their own righteousness. And I see it today in our nation. It breaks my heart when I go to churches and see that they're so self-absorbed with trying to maintain this kind of false righteousness. I, I went to see a, a, a bishop, asked him to back mission into his diocese. And he said, Sam, we've got no money left for mission. We've just spent a million and a half pounds doing up the cathedral. My heart breaks. No money left to do the work of Christ because we've made sure the roof looks good on this place. Missing the mark. Mother Teresa talked about seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor. Looking for Christ in the broken and the, and, and the poor is what we are called to do. I remember getting a call from my buddy who said um, he'd made, he'd got a present for my daughter Willow. And so I went round to this guy's house. He's been a heroin addict for over 30 years. Uh, he's never had a job his whole life. Uh, penniless. Every penny that he has goes on the wrong kind of stuff. And um, I went through to his back room. By the way, his house is is kind of like a drug den. There's no wallpaper on the walls. The, the, the floorboards are all bare and scruffy. Um, the sofas are, are, are disgusting. And the, and the walls are kind of stained with, with smoke stains and stuff. I went into his back room. And uh, there was clearly like a table. And, and there was a, 
like a sheet with a big present underneath it. And I was like, what on earth is this? And he says, oh, you better t- take a look. So I pulled the sheet off. And underneath the sheet was this beautiful doll's house. Beautiful doll's house. I said, said to my friend Steve, I said, this is, this is too much. What, what is this? Like, how have you afforded it? He said, oh, I made it. Me, me and Debbie, which is his partner, we, we made this for Willow because we wanted to bless her. I was like, it's, it's amazing. Like, it had a flip-top roof and, you know, all this kind of furniture that they'd collected from charity shops. And he'd been to the local carpet place and he'd asked for the ends of the rolls. We could, all the rooms were carpeted and he'd wallpapered each of the individual walls. And he said, I'm really sorry, it's just got no electrics in it. <laughs> I'm like, are you mad? I said, this is, this is just the most wonderful gift. And so I took it home to Willow and he said, I said, do you want to come with me? He's like, no, I can't. I, I just can't. It's too much. He said, but would you record it on your phone so you can show me? So I recorded this video of Willow pulling off the sheet and revealing this doll's house like I, I could never afford and I probably wouldn't want it in my house. But anyway, he, he pulls this off and there's this doll's house. And you know what? I, I, I said, I see Jesus in you. I see the generosity of Christ in you. This is a guy who's so far from, from knowing what it is to live for Jesus, but he wanted to use something that he had, his hands, to build this thing to bless. He wanted to be generous and pour out his love and his affection on somebody other than himself. And he saw that I had a daughter and I adopted her and, and, and made her my own, and he wanted to be a part of that. You know, he wanted to be in the family, and he said, so this is my contribution I'm like I see God in your brokenness you have nothing but what you have is enough we need to see the face of Christ in those who have so little and choose to worship and to bless have we forgotten what the scriptures say that to give to the poor is to give to the Lord if we've forgotten what the scriptures say that to insult the poor is to insult God I've been loving the Hebrew words for wickedness and righteousness. Let me give you the definitions. For wickedness, it means a person who uh, sees his or her resources as belonging to just them. Wickedness is defined as selfishness. Those who hold on to everything that they have as their own. But righteousness, the righteous person in the Hebrew is described like this. A person who disadvantages themselves for his or her community. Disadvantages themselves, gives up what is precious in order to give to others. The wicked person thinks that all they have belongs to them, that they've earned it, that they deserve it. It's what I tell my kids. I'm trying to teach my kids, right? When you hear a child say, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. I'm the cheesy dad who says, whose is it? Now my children should now say by rote, it belongs to Jesus. Everything belongs to Jesus. And I say to them, then what does Jesus say you do with it? And they say, he says, care and share. We're supposed to be people who steward what God gives us and give it away generously. So when they say, it's mine, it's mine, I'll say, whose is it? And they'll say, it's Jesus. What does he say? He says, care for it and share with it. 
We need to be a righteous people who take that seriously. That say what I have belongs to the community, not to myself. That is willing to disadvantage ourselves in case of others. Look beyond our own belly button at the needs of the broken and the hurting. When we use ourselves right on behalf of God, it exposes what's really going on inside. God sees the heart. It's not what we put in us, it's what comes out of us. And what he wants to come out of us is himself. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, are the character of Christ to be displayed in us and they should be visible to everybody else. What people should see around us is the character of Christ, his transforming work in our lives, transforming those around us. So we need some work done on our hearts. Our hearts need to be changed in line with that of Jesus. And the only way that happens is if we're exposed to his. When you truly invest yourself in in seeing and loving and devoting yourself to the heart of Christ, it's only there that true transformation will take place with us. When you see a Christ willing to suffer and to serve, When you see the lengths that Christ went to in order to redeem and restore. It's then that we'll be willing to go anywhere and do anything and give up anything for his kingdom. When you've witnessed his righteousness and the way in which he disadvantaged himself for us. Leaving heaven in order to bring us new life. It's only then that you'll see a new way to live beyond yourself. Let me finish with the words of Philippians 2. Let me intersect it so that you can see the way in which Christ disadvantages himself. Philippians 2 from verse 5 says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who in righteousness disadvantaged himself, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but but rather made himself nothing and in righteousness he disadvantaged himself by taking the very nature of a servant he in righteousness disadvantaged himself by making himself in human nature he disadvantaged himself being found in the appearance of a man was to disadvantage himself being obedient to death a death he didn't deserve he disadvantaged himself he died upon a cross He disadvantaged himself. He disadvantaged himself for you. Hoping that you would use your life as he would. I believe Christ wants to work on our hearts this morning. Make us love and appreciate his disadvantage more than ever before. Awaken our hearts Lord. Disturb us this morning. Wake us from our self-righteousness. Awaken us to your wonderful and beautiful righteousness. We're going to move to the table. Is there ever a more beautiful symbol of a Christ who disadvantages himself than the broken body and the shed blood before us? So as you take and you drink and you eat, let's dwell again and remember the lengths that Christ went in order to bring us life. And consider how we might want you to use That life is given you to bless those around you. Allow them to work on your heart.
give over control. Let's pray.